Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body-inclusive non-diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of The Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body-inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I had the most cracking conversation with Dr. Natasha Lamy, otherwise known as the Fat Doctor, recently. And in this conversation, we really step through a lot of the foundational concepts around weight stigma, the research, the practicalities, people's lived experiences. We talk about the difference between implicit and explicit biases and how they impact clients and patients in really significant ways. We talked about what's really happening when a doctor or a health professional prescribes, quote unquote, weight loss. We talk about the the makings and the foundations of an amazing new group called Healthcare Professionals Against Weight Stigma. And importantly, we speak together about how we can all, in big ways and small, begin to contribute to the collective dismantling of weight stigma. So before we get into this conversation, I wanted to, to tell you a little bit about Natasha and using her words. So Natasha says, I'm a weight-inclusive GP with over 20 years medical experience who is campaigning against weight stigma in healthcare. I've been fat for most of my adult life, and I'm only now beginning to realize just how much of an impact anti-fat bias has had on my physical and mental health. In coming to this realization and embarking on a lifelong learning journey, I began exploring the issues surrounding weight-based discrimination and how they impact the health of my patients. My mission is to educate the healthcare profession and empower the fat community to rid the world of weight stigma. So thank you to Dr. Natasha Lamy for this amazing conversation. If you haven't connected with Natasha, she is Fat Doctor UK on Instagram and also um, on that's the name of her website as well. So I I really encourage you to connect with Natasha and listen to her lived experience, both as a doctor and as a fat human in this world. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and it was an absolute pleasure to get to know Natasha a lot more. So if you're interested in more from The Mindful Dietitian, you can find out about upcoming courses and other learning opportunities and other podcast episodes at the website, which is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. And uh, in terms of socials, then I am most active over on Instagram, which is at The Mindful Dietitian. So thanks for being here. And I really hope that you enjoy this episode with Dr. Natasha Lamy. Well, hello, Natasha, and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. I was so excited that I, I logged on 12 hours early, as you recall. Um, so <laughs> I got here 12 hours ago and then realized I was 12 hours too early. <laughs> well, I, I'm very flattered that it was 12 hours early is um, perhaps uh, more promising than 12 hours late, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I told myself afterwards. <laughs> exactly. Well, I hope you had a, a lovely Sunday, which is nice and spacious without having to start the day with a podcast. 
<laughs> I did that I was kind of I was I was thinking about it all day so that that must be a good thing right I was so excited I have been looking forward to it let's put it that way oh that's awesome well thank you so much for being here it's awesome to speak with you so some people listening will be familiar with you and others might not be but around I'm not sure maybe six seven months ago you kind of burst onto the Instagram scene <laughs> I don't know whether that is like the the uh, appropriate terminology, but I remember, I do distinctly remember the first moment that I quote unquote met you on Instagram and thinking, okay, this is going to be awesome. Like this is somebody who I will definitely be following along with and um, somebody who's got some amazing ideas and very, very real, you know, bring, bringing it to each of your each of your posts and videos. And I love the, the dressing gown ones and the... <laughs> yeah, the lockdown dressing gown ones. There's a lot of those, aren't there? <laughs> well, you know, times yeah. like these. It was, it was very, it was very real and true life. And I was, I was, I was not in a great place at the time. And I think I decided that I wasn't going to like get out of my dressing gown to pretend that I was okay. I was just going to take a picture in a dressing gown and be like, this is where I'm at. I'm in a dressing gown. My hair's a mess and I'm a mess. Absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of people recognize themselves too through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. So the arrival on the Instagram scene uh it might be helpful maybe could you give us just a little bit of the background so we can you know slide into people understanding who you are and how you came to be doing this amazing work oh wow wow yeah I mean I'm still very new as you said I, I have just arrived um I am a GP I've been a GP in the UK now for well I graduated medical school in 2003 before that I was working as a nurse a healthcare assistant not as a nurse as a healthcare assistant in a hospice um so I joined the NHS in 1999 um and um I've always since 1999 I've always been fat and I use that that word completely neutrally. I'm not trying to be rude or offensive. That's just how I describe myself. I am fat. Um, and um, I've grown up in the NHS as a fat doctor. Um, and about well, coming on to a year now, I turned 40 um, in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And um, I was basically sort of working in a COVID clinic and I had to measure my BMI for the first time in a long time, actually, as part of my risk assessment. So when I weighed myself, um, I realized that I was actually technically 40 kilograms overweight now. And I had a BMI of just over 40 and I've never really been that big before. And um, I made a joke like, oh, gosh, too many 40s, you know, 40, 40, 40. That's too many 40s. Um, and I, I decided that I was going to go on a diet, which is, you know, something I've done many, many, many times before. Uh, I actually followed the NHS advice, uh, dropped down to 1400 calories and actually dropped down a little bit lower down to 1200 calories. And I did this for about three months, uh, lost quite a bit of weight. Uh, everyone was like, wow, look at you. You look amazing. Blah, 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 blah. The usual stuff. Um, but over the course of the, those three months, I became um, depressed and, and I have a history of depression, but dieting often triggers my depression. So about three months after my 40th birthday, I was depressed. I just wanted to give up. And during that period of time, I had started blogging under the pseudonym Fat Doctor, but it was really a weight loss blog. It was sort of charting my weight loss journey, you know, my 
midlife weight loss journey. So I got to three months in and then just crashed and thought, well, that's it. I'm quitting. I'm giving up on everything. And around that time, a friend gave me some very good advice, which I'm very glad I followed, which was don't quit. Just be real, be honest, be authentic, tell people what you're going through. And you never know what might happen. What's the what's the worst that can happen? And I think that he just thought I was going to like, you know, just talk about how I was feeling a bit miserable. I took that advice to heart and I literally laid it all on the table. I mean, I was as brutally honest as I possibly have been the the blog post is still up on my website it's called fat doctor unplugged and i talked about everything um i hope we don't mind my dog making a noise in the background like i'm trying not to oh, <laughs> i'm fine. trying to get him to calm down but he's not gonna um anyway i um as i did that people start to reach out and um especially members of the, the sort of um body acceptance the kind of fat liberation community they started to reach out and they started to say hey your story really resonates with me and you know don't give up and and then i started following people on instagram and i'd never really been on instagram before so this was all very new to me i went on instagram and started following all these amazing sort of creators and 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 as that journey began I went from somebody writing a weight loss blog to somebody who was anti-diets anti-weight loss um very kind of very much sort of beginning to understand about health at every size um about what weight stigma was and since then i've been on a journey of learning about weight stigma and learning about how that's impacting me as a, as a human being and my patients and as i've got to understand more and more i've i've just i suppose it's ignited a passion within me that's that's not been there before so what you see on instagram is just basically what's happening in my life it's like i was sleeping for 40 years and i've just woken up mm-hmm. and i you know not one of those people that can figure something out and then just ignore it i just felt i had to do something about it i looked around me was like where's all the other doctors talking about this i couldn't find that many and i thought well if no one else is i'm, I'm just gonna give it a go which is what i've been doing that is so wonderful. And thank you so much for kind of, you know, giving us a bit of a whistle-stop tour there. That's super handy just to help people to locate you and to understand a little bit about your experience. So before we move on to uh, what I really want to ask you about the most, which is about anti-fat attitudes in medicine and healthcare, I'm curious to hear your thoughts and reflections as to why why you think it is that so few doctors kind of speak up or speak out like i'm i'm interested you know i'm guessing there is internal hierarchical power structures that that serve to silence and um and dismiss people that's what i that's what i would be hypothesizing but you know i'm curious to hear yeah and i think I think to a degree that exists, um, you know, we are we are led by the powers that be, the people, the policymakers, the ones who are essentially um, incentive, financially incentivizing, um, promoting weight loss and and diagnosing obesity. And, and you can't see me, but I'm, I'm putting obesity in inverted commas because, as I have said on multiple occasions, I don't actually personally believe that this is a genuine medical condition I, I i don't buy into that but but it but it is you know i, I work for the nhs i i work you know i follow certain guidance and that guidance states that obesity is a condition and we are having to diagnose it more and more and more and we are beginning to get financially incentivized to treat it and i think mm. once you put money into into mm-hmm. anything like, it just becomes very difficult to speak out against it and we are 
I mean, all of us, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you know, profession you're in, this kind of diet culture that we grow up in, this 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 culture that is so anti-fat, is fueled by a multi-billion-dollar industry. You know, the weight loss industry. I've I've read lots of different statistics, but from what I understand, there's like a seventy-plus billion-dollar a year turnover worldwide. That's 70 billion reasons why doctors are struggling to stand up and to speak out against anti-fat bias. And then, of course, you know, we are biased ourselves. And that's something we'll talk about in a minute. But if you are biased as a doctor, um, you know, you have this degree of confirmation bias. You you believe that fat is bad. And anyone that says differently is 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 deluded. You know, and I, every time I try and speak about this, you know, I come up against so much you know, what I'm learning is cognitive dissonance. You know, people are just like, nope, they reject you straight away. They don't, they don't even let you open your mouth and speak a sentence. The moment they know who you are and what your agenda is. So it's very hard to convince other professionals, health professionals, that they, you know, that 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 you can be healthy and fat, that you can, you know, that that weight loss isn't the solution. It's not the answer. In fact, it's making things worse and prescribing weight loss is probably what is kind of generating all of these poorer health outcomes that we're seeing more and more as time goes by you know it's 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 actually we're the problem not the solution but it's very hard to convince my colleagues that that is the case so I'm trying but it's hard to do. Mm. So when it comes to anti-fat attitudes in healthcare more broadly or in medicine which is you know your your own profession it is one of the most common reasons that people report to feel shame to feel dismissed to feel like it's the they're on the same old hamster wheel of you know I go to the doctor with skin condition throat infection for my routine whatever xyz check and here it comes So, so I'm interested more in, you know, your observations of that you, you have mentioned that, you know, it's, it's kind of baked into the medical profession in so many ways, in ways that are uninterrogated and unquestioned. So, um, yeah, and, and yet, people are speaking out quite, quite a lot about that this is the one area of life that is most difficult is being able to get stigma free or as low bias as possible just health just respectful health care yeah you'd think that that was just kind of a given hey please respect me if you know you (laughs) might just just it feels like a kind of very basic need a basic I'm not even say desire a need uh health needs that that shouldn't ever be dismissed but the thing the thing that whenever I'm talking about this I have to remind people you know we're just human beings there's nothing special about us and you've got to remember that you know this whole adage of trust me I'm a doctor it's nonsense Why, why do I deserve your trust any more than anyone else you know trust should be earned and and, you know, I've been looking at the studies and I, I'm, I'm loving the research at the moment. And I, I um, there is a study that or, or a paper that I, I go to. It's like my it's become my new Bible. It's um, by by Sean Phelan and the team um, at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, and it's and it's it was written back in 2015. And I forget the title. It's a long title, but it's basically all about weight stigma. And what the team did was they wrote this kind of narrative review where they drew on all these different papers. There are 109 different 
different papers taken from all sorts of different sort of areas and you know not just medicine but lots of lots of representing lots of different fields and they wrote this kind of narrative of weight stigma uh specifically in healthcare and it, it's brilliant because you can just literally there's 109 papers that you can then go and access i'm slowly waking working my way through them but you know one of the things that that i learned what i'm reading this amazing paper was that that this 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 anti-fat bias starts early i mean it starts when you're a kid actually let's face it, it starts when you're a child it's it's happening at home it's happening at school uh it, it you know all the way through adolescence where it becomes really problematic it's social media it's you know uh, it happens in the workplace because you know anti-fat bias is rife in the workplace um it happens uh in the criminal justice system it happens you name it it happens everywhere so by the time you're a medical student however old you are let's say you know in, in the uk you can actually be a medical student at 18 so you're quite young still and you go to medical school and you are biased because you live in the world you know and you can't avoid living in the world and there's there's, there's a study that looked at like 4700 and something medical students and found that 75 percent of them roughly had implicit anti-fat bias and 67 like two-thirds had explicit anti-fat bias and explicit anti-fat bias is stuff like you know fat people are lazy i i you know i dislike fat people stuff like that you know actively explicit negative views uh, whether you're blaming fat people or you fear fat yourself of course mm. you know that's another thing um uh, or if it's implicit it's something that you're not even aware of so you think you're a really good person but actually you are implicitly biased i did an in implicit association test for, for, for weights. I scored moderately anti-fat bias. Mm -hmm. You know, I am in the moderate mm -hmm. anti-fat implicit bias. And I'm not surprised by that because I've grown up hating my body and believing that fat is bad. So the fact that I'm afraid of fat and I, you know, I, I have negative associations with fat does not surprise me at all. So these are the medical students. These are the, 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 the future of medicine. Two thirds of them are explicitly anti-fat. So, you know, this isn't the point I'm trying to make is how do you, unless you're addressing it right at the very beginning, in the first year of medical school, saying, hey, guys, you guys are all massively biased. We've got to turn this around before you even start. Then what's happening is you're going through the ranks where, where actually weight bias is almost encouraged because you're getting all these messages from medical school onwards that fat is bad, fat is bad. You know, every drug company wants you to believe fat is bad so that you can sell you mm -hmm. know pr prescribe mm -hmm. their drug and every bariatric surgeon out there wants you to you know send patients their way so you 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 know weight watchers and the nhs have a massive connection you know weight watchers works for the nhs and gets so much money from the nhs in the uk Ooh, i didn't know that right yeah and in fact very recently just um, managed to win a contract for a large portion of the UK to do their diabetes care, their pre-diabetes mm. care. So Weight Watchers is now in charge of pre-diabetes care in a large part of the UK. You know, that's... <laughs> God. it's worrying hey I mean like you know you hear stuff like that and you're like oh my gosh is there any wonder that that's where we're at how do you then address you know the fact that a doctor is is so implicitly and explicitly biased you know that you know that that look that you get uh, I mean that look that I get every time someone's looking at me you know I always think oh they're judging me they think I'm lazy they think I don't, lack motivation they think I don't listen they think I'm not compliant you know which is not true and in fact I've spent 
20 years of my life trying to disprove that. I am exhausted from trying to be an overachiever to try to prove, hey, actually, do you know what? Guess what? I am not lazy. I'm not incompetent. But still people look at me that way. And for a long time, I used to think I'm imagining it. And now I realize, no, no, the evidence makes it clear. They are looking at me like that. That look is a genuine look. So is it any wonder that I don't want to go and see my own GP? And I don't, by the way, I'm terrified of my GP. Nice guy, still won't go. So on that note, I really appreciate you delineating the difference between explicit bias and implicit bias. Mm. And I'm so curious about how folks with high levels of implicit bias can almost shield themselves through their niceness, through their caring natures, and how that really stops us, and I mean us as in the collective, me included, in that. I'm not, you know, let's be all real about this. But I wonder how the uninterrogated and the unseen somehow makes things more difficult because it's, it's like, being nice and caring is almost enough you know so so I'm curious to hear about that yeah and and that's so true that's such an important point to raise you know that you know there are some people out there that have very negative associations about fat people they're actually out out there people like myself you know and I, I put myself in this camp who have a lot of implicit bias but actually very caring but that implicit bias is still going to cloud your treatment decisions and your diagnostic decisions you if you have implicit bias you're probably going to spend less time discussing lifestyle interventions and by lifestyle interventions I don't mean weight loss because I don't believe you should spend any time discussing that but by sort of having conversations about um you know what what is your diet like or you know are you struggling with anything right now or you know activity levels you know is something preventing you from from being active these kind of conversations can be really beneficial but we don't have them because we're like oh this person's fat I don't want to upset them and you're being nice about it but actually you're not giving them the time that, that they deserve um and you also often it, it, you know, your, your own beliefs, internal beliefs and the way you judge people, you will definitely affect the way you manage people going forward. So in a, from an explicit sense, quite often it's a uh, go away and lose weight. You know, it's your fault. So go and lose weight. But from an implicit bias point of view, it could be the opposite way around. It could be the kind of molly coddling of patients that um, people talk about, like, oh, you know, if you, me- if you don't mention weight, then you're molly coddling them. And I always get very upset about this because the people that say that are always very aggressive and mean. And what they're trying to say is just tell them they're fat and to get on with it. But I also think that there is, you know, a little nugget of truth in there that implicit bias when you're a caring person can actually be really unhelpful because you're you're still making decisions on behalf of a patient. And that's the problem. You know, as a, as a doctor, I always say my job is not to tell people what to do. My job is not to advise people what to do. My job is to, to give people the facts uh, as I know them, to present them with all of the evidence that I know because I've won and studied it. And to say, here's the evidence, here's the benefits, here's the risks, um, here are the options. This is the option if you choose not to do anything. You know, this is all. Now make your own informed choice. And I will support you in whatever choice you make because that's my job. And I suppose that if you have implicit bias, you could, you know, in, in, in perhaps the most sort of kind and considerate and helpful way still avoid doing that still avoid giving the facts because you don't want to hurt people and that's just as bad you know you can present facts 
in a kind and comparing and compassionate and non-judgmental way, which can massively empower people to, to make choices about their health. And as a fat person, I don't have a problem with people talking to me about my body. I don't have a problem with people talking to me about exercise or activity or sleep or stress reduction. I've, I'm no problem with that. I have people, a problem with people judging me about it. And mm -hmm. so you can be non-judgmental. But if you're not careful, you could also avoid the subject altogether, which is not helpful because sometimes, you know, that's part of your job. I don't know if that makes sense, actually. I'm sorry, I rambled a little bit there. No, 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 that, that makes complete sense. And it reminds me of a post I saw um, in, a, in a closed Facebook group of mixed health professionals um, a little while ago where one of the, the person posting was a doctor themselves and said they had gone to get some specialist care and um, they were posting in the Facebook group asking about this speciality, asking about the advice given and kind of like, oh, just checking in. There was something that didn't seem quite right. And, it, and they definitely, definitely first up said, you know, gave the adv direct advice of weight loss. They didn't say like how, <laughs> as yeah. if, you know, that's obvious. But they first up and then they said, oh, I found this so interesting. They said, but they were so lovely. This specialist was so lovely, but there was yeah. something about it that didn't feel right. And yeah. I think, and so, so the person posting was a doctor themselves, no idea what kind of area they, they worked in, but they went to see a specialist in an area that they weren't as familiar with mm -hmm. and then had this kind of gaslit feeling. And, yeah. and so it was heartening to see other colleagues jump in and say, actually, there is no evidence for weight loss. Here yeah. is here is what we already know. There's what we know is fairly limited, but this is what we know. And that feeling that you have is spot on. And I think it's so, it's just so um, affirming for people when you know the quote unquote that feeling turns out to be self trust. I can listen yeah. to myself. You know. Yeah. And isn't that something, I mean, that is something that we just, we just lack, I think, often when we go and see a doctor, I mean, it, it actually, you know, definitely when it's, when it's, you know, a so-called weight related issue, which is pretty much every issue from what I can tell nowadays, you know, you got a sore finger, lose some weight, which is, you know, nonsense. Oh, yeah. And, but but it, it does, you know, you, you do feel after a while that you you know, maybe I'm making it up or, or maybe I, um, you know, maybe, maybe this doctor's right, you know, and I'm wrong. And uh, maybe I'm, you know, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm at fault, you know, and, and somehow it's, it's my fault. And I, I think what we have to remember is that often doctors don't know, and mm -hmm. we're not very good at saying, I don't know. <laughs> um, and so actually, um, go and lose some weight seems to become the sort of the answer for everything when when the answer is really I don't know when people come and see me and they say I've got knee pain and I do an x-ray and I look at the x-ray and I go there's nothing wrong with your knee and I examine it and I'm like there's nothing wrong with your knee uh so the ne the next step really would be to say look I don't actually know um you know and maybe it is this and maybe it's this and maybe it's this or maybe it's you know, maybe it's psychosomatic, maybe this is, you know, this is, a, you know, a, a sign of some underlying stress that's going on, maybe it's a, an environmental thing, you know, are you, are you tucking your chair, you know, your legs underneath your chair mm -hmm. in your new you know, home office, you know, what could be going on? And this is a very important part of medicine, is it's kind of saying to the patient, I don't know, what do you think? And mm. that can be quite empowering. Some papers don't like it. They're like, whoa, hang on, you're the doctor. But a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, do you think it might be this? And you go, oh, that's not, that's not a bad idea. It might be that. That can be 
time consuming, it can be challenging, and it also requires a doctor to admit that they that they don't know, and it's an uncomfortable place to be in because you always want to look like you know in front of the in front of your patients. So I just think it's easier at that point in time to say, hey, lose some weight and it will fix your knee pain, which, you know, actually that there's not that much, much evidence for that. And, and it's interesting, really, because knee pain is one of those classic, you know, too much weight impacts the joints, you know, puts pressure on them, yada, yada, yada. There's not much science backing that up. You know, that's just that's just some theory that someone spouted a long time ago and has now become gospel. Um, but it's just easier to dismiss people than to say, let's actually explore all of these issues and then also let's accept maybe that we don't know and worse still that we can't fix it mm-hmm. which is a really hard thing for a doctor to admit so these are these are my my kind of my own experiences really I mean I'm just I'm just telling it like I see it no I know no. that's really valuable because I think that um you know certainly people listening will relate to that like I've recognized so much of that I know I'm I'm, I'm nodding a lot here <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, which is uh, that, that's what I that's what I do observe, especially in the interplay between doctors, say, and health professionals, is a really good timely referral to somebody who can then you can pass the baton to and say, look, these are my observations. I would really appreciate your input here. Every time I get a, a letter or a note from a doctor saying, look. This, this is this person's history, this is, this is a little bit about this person, I would really appreciate your in, input, your kind of specialist input in here. I feel really affirmed, which um, for a dietitian, um, you may or may not be aware of this, but on the health professional hierarchy, dietitians do not necessarily enjoy a, a high rung. We enjoy the, we kind of are situated much, much on the lo- lower, lower rungs. And so any, any, any time that, that somebody says, oh, you've got a five-year degree, you might know some stuff here about dietary quality or about bowel health or about, I don't know, bone health or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it is that um, somebody wants to say or or disordered eating or body image or, you know, all those stuff that, hello, most people have got some idea about how to do a really good clinical assessment and then make a pathway forward from there, kind of understand how to proceed. So um, I don't know how I got onto that. I think I, it, I, these little opportunities I get on my soapbox, Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> and you, but you're so right. And actually, you know, when somebody comes in with knee pain, I don't need to send them to an orthopedic surgeon. Nine times out of 10, I need to send them to a physiotherapist. Physio, and if somebody exactly. comes in with some gut health problem or, you know, or an issue that is weight related, or in fact, many, many conditions, I can list off 20 really easily, where I think actually a dietitian's input here would be massively valuable. And as you say, you have as much, uh, you've studied as long as I have, you know, like the five years, that's how long I studied for. So I'm well aware of that. One of the biggest problems we face in the UK is I cannot refer a patient to a dietitian for love nor money, only a private one. The only time I can refer a patient to a dietitian is if they have a BMI under 17.5 or if they have a BMI over 40. What? Yeah, right. So, I mean, that's the majority of the population excluded. And even if I want to refer to a dietitian, get this, I have to send the patient to what we call tier one services and tier one services at the moment is either Weight Watchers or Slimming World for 12 weeks. Oh my God. Like a dietitian, unless you meet certain really strict criteria, especially if it's, you know, to do with uh, weight related issues, you've got to go to Weight Watchers or Slimming World first. That's the NHS that I work in. Yeah. I see your face. Unfortunately that that gets lost in translation on podcasts, Mm -hmm. but that's where I'm at. 
I would kill for access for, to a dietitian. And in fact, you know what? Even if it was just a telehealth type of like yeah. a, almost like a ward round where I could sit yes. with a dietitian once a week and just be like, look, here's a list of like six patients. I just need to just, just, you know, let me, sh- when it throws some things at you and you just throw some things back, that would be massively helpful. Mm-hmm. One of the beauties of the only good things that came out of the COVID pandemic from a general practice point of view is that GPs now have access to consultants for advice and guidance. We've never been able to do that before. So I can now write to any consultant and just go what do you think I should do about this patient and I just write like a brief history and they come back to me and go this 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 boom and it has been marvelous because we have avoided a lot of unnecessary referrals or you know wasting time for the patient wasting time for the NHS but unfortunately we don't have the same access for allied professionals and I have just at this moment thought to myself, that is what we need to fix right now. I'm just going to go to my local, you know, CCG and say, I want access to a dietitian for advice and guidance. And even if I can't get my patients seen, I definitely get advice and guidance from a dietitian and that would be brilliant. So thanks. You've just given me an idea. (laughs) You're welcome (laughs) to add to your list of ideas. (laughs) Um, This is a beautiful segue into what I wanted to ask you about next. So together with uh, uh, some other health professionals, you're you're part of the Healthcare Professionals Against Weight Stigma group. So tell us a little bit about how this group got formed and then what your your hopes are for for, um, moving this group forward. So I'm going to put cards on the table. No one's actually asked me before, and I'm I'm just going to be completely honest now. Um, Around January time, I was really thinking, I was like stepping things up and I was thinking, you know, I can't find, you know, there is a doctor, very well-known doctor that I'm sure you've all heard of that uh, works in the UK that has been speaking about uh, health at every size for a long time. Um, and you all know who he is. So I'm not even going to mention his name. I'm not going to give him time on this platform, but no, Josh is, <laughs> Josh is great. He is uh, and he's great. been doing this for a really long time, but he, you know, he is one man uh, who's very busy. Um, and I just thought, well, there's no, there's no group of doctors. In fact, I can't find a group of health professionals at all. And then I looked around and there are some, there, there is a directory for Hayes professionals in the UK. It's not particularly well populated. Um, there's more stuff in the US, um, possibly some stuff in, in Australia as well. I feel like other countries are much further ahead than, than we are in the UK. So I thought, well, you know, we've got to start somewhere. Um, I'm just going to start one. And <laughs> I just went and found some people that I met, uh, just networked with, because that's what I've been doing, really. It's just making friends and talking to people. Um, oh, I love it. That's how great, great things I mean, start. It's the, way, it's the way things start. This is how, you know, this is how things, this kind of grassroots movements start, isn't it? It's just people start talking to people and going, hey, I like you. And you like, you know, you've got a lot of interesting things to say. So as I was it's, kind it's of... It's like how moved, people make friends. It lets our kids make friends in kindergarten. Do yes. you like football? I like football too. Let's be friends. Yes, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> hey, you, 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 you believe in health at every site? Me too. Oh, okay. Should, should we just hang out now? And so um, the first person I met was Jeanette, who was just supporting me from day one. In fact, um, uh, she's um, the mindset nutritionist. She works in the UK and uh, she's a nutritionist, but um, 
she's just been so so helpful and wonderful and, and helping me with my intuitive eating journey which has been brilliant um and then she introduced me to amy amy is a, um, a fitness professional and she runs an organization or helps run to organization called an organization called help uh, fitness professionals against weight stigma so we may have stolen the name from her but she gave permission so it was okay so uh, she's working massively to improve you know to, to campaign against weight stigma uh, within the fitness world um rachel sister physio who um i just you know texted her one day and said you know what you and i are going to be friends whether you like it or not so come be my mate <laughs> um nicola um does a lot of work with um she's she's literally written the book about fat fertility so she's oh yeah part- nicola has been a past yeah. podcast guest she's yeah she's, she's she's brilliant and she you know she has a real understanding of an area of medicine that i think is just so rife with weight stigma I mean it's one of the worst in my humble you know my humble opinions it's just awful um and um and Carolyn Carolyn um I loved I met her through art she does this beautiful art but she's also doing a master's in um in uh basically in 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 fat phobia that's what she's doing her master's in so I kind of met all of these people and said, hey, should we just form a group? And that's all we've done. And that's literally where we've started. We have registered ourselves as a nonprofit organization. We have, um, you know, got, 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 we're getting a website going. We have an Instagram account. We're right at the beginning. This started in January. We're now in March. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not there yet, but we have three goals in mind. The first is to network and to provide a space for other health professionals to network. So anybody from any profession who, you know, any healthcare profession that is interested in finding out about health of every size, we want to have separate groups. So one for midwives, one for nurses, one for dietitians, obviously the dietitian one's going to be massive. But um, we're then hoping to to provide uh, training, specific training for those groups um, and provide resources but also just to give people a chance to talk to each other Mm. I've got a little group going just with some medical students and some doctors you know we just text each other sometimes and just think hey what do you think about this or oh this is really hard or can you support me with this so having that network is actually really important so that's the first thing that we're doing the second thing we're doing is we're collecting um, lived experiences and I know that other people have done this as well but we want to collect as many lived experiences as possible there is a google form that you can fill out on our um, on our Instagram account and will be on our website when it's up and running uh, a place for you to consent for you to you for us to share that story anonymously we're not going to make it public I don't think that's the, the the idea the idea is to have a dossier a giant dossier filled with hundreds and hundreds of cases that we can bring before the powers that be and say look weight stigma is real here is your evidence I don't you know I rest my case this is the actual experiences that people are going through now do something about it you cannot ignore this because this goes against best practice um and I, I say this all the time but you know the general medical council I'm sure it's the same in Australia I'm sure it's the same in the states it's the same world over there are certain principles that doctors must abide by you must do what's in the best interest of your patients you cannot do any harm you must respect autonomy you must practice fairly and without discrimination and all of those things are, are are basically destroyed 
by anti-fat bias. We are not working in the best interest of our patients. We are prescribing weight loss to people with eating disorders. We are prescribing weight loss to children. We are prescribing weight loss to people and telling them that that's going to make them better. When in actual fact, the studies show that they're gonna feel rubbish whilst they're doing it. They're gonna lose a little bit of weight and chances are they're going to gain it all back again and probably some more. So five years from now, they're gonna be heavier than where they started. So not only has it been a complete waste of time, but it's also impacted their mental health. It's also impacted their metabolism. It's also you know, put them at risk of developing an eating disorder, certainly developing disordered eating. The younger you do it, the more often you do it, mm-hmm. the worse it is. So that's not, that's not doing what's in the best interest of our patients. In fact, that's doing harm. So that's number two. We're not respecting patients' autonomy because we're telling them to do something. We're not giving them a choice, are we? We're saying, go away and lose some weight or I'm not going to treat you. That's that's basically the opposite of respecting autonomy. And certainly when it comes to practicing fairly and without discrimination, hey, I've just talked to you about fat bias and the studies that exist out there. There is a study that was done on as an obese, quote unquote obesity conference with obesity doctors and obesity researchers that showed that explicit and implicit bias was a rife across the board. Mm-hmm. These are the doctors and the researchers that are supposed to be advocating for people in bigger bodies and they are the opposite. So if they can't get it right, the rest of the world is not going to get it right. So, you know, we are discriminating against patients. That is against our good medical practice. Technically, theoretically speaking, none of us should have a license to practice if we're actively discriminating, if we're explicitly biased, and Mm. that is affecting our treatment decisions. So we are in a serious situation. We need to do something about it. And health professionals against weight stigma want to collect the evidence. So that's I, I got on my soapbox now sorry it's very important no, I love me. it that's awesome um and and you know ideally what we want to do eventually is to to have a platform with which we can come to the table and say you know I think when you're a member of an organization if you have an organization if it's a big organization that you know actually has a, some you know status people have heard of it and you say I represent this organization people are more lis- willing to listen to you they're more willing to you know to 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 hear what you have to say um Carolyn who is the one that's doing um uh the 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 her 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 masters in 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 fat phobia has got together an amazing little um questionnaire where we're trying to do our first bit of like research and it's very basic research but we're very interested to find out how patients are experiencing weight stigma mm-hmm. what it actually looks like like what does that what does that mean when you go to the doctor how does it how does it you know how does it affect you and it's things like you know do the doctors have the right equipment do they have the right chairs do they have the right you know blood pressure cuff you know do they what do they say to you how do they make you feel what do, what is it that makes you uncomfortable stuff like that so that questionnaire we're hoping will provide us with some data to be able to say, look, this is the problem. And here are some suggestions to fix things. Because mm-hmm. I think that's it. When we go before the powers that be, we can't just go, it's rubbish. We have to say it's rubbish, but here's how we fix it. Yes. So that's where we're sort of trying to do it. We're trying to get to. And of course, there is a lot of research out there already. And I'm in touch with some of those amazing researchers I've actually just emailed a lot of them and just gone hey love your work you know can we have a chat because <laughs> they, they 
really know what to do. I'm like, what's the point of me trying to reinvent the wheel? They've already, they've already invented it. So I really just want to just figure out from as many people as possible. It's not um, it's not an autocracy, you know. It's mm. it's 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 we're all in it together. Yeah. There's no there's no leadership. There's no senior management. Like we're all professionals. Let's all have a collective voice. Let's all share our resources and experience, and let's come up with a plan for how we can eradicate weight stigma within the healthcare professional a profession and I believe it's possible it's a, it's a tall it's a, it's a it's a big ask it's a tall order but it is doable I believe it's absolutely doable particularly with the chipping away at all levels so the individual level the group and um organizational professional level and then at the at the higher more collective level for sure I mean I, I I'm with you 100% will we see it in our lifetime I, I hope so I, I hope so and even if we don't even if you know this is a this is a a, a big animal to you know to, to bite away at to have our little snacks right um one thing I wanted to ask you about before we move on to right how do we do this thing is, um, you know, I was thinking about my observation that a lot of anti-weight stigma organisations actually have this shady background where Mm. the, the background is actually being propelled by some people with lived experience, usually uh, quote unquote treatment seeking folks or weight loss seeking folks and also with some you know pharmaceutical and surgical (laughs) kind of uh just oh we'll just be here in the background don't mind us type of situation and so you know I've just noticed I, I have noticed this increasing over the past year or two where there are organization saying wait stigma is horrible it doesn't help people but actually the overall kind of narrative is weight stigma um is bad because it stops people seeking the care that they need to bloody pursue weight loss that i mean you've hit (laughs) a nail on the head and let's 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 call them by their names that's the who that's the cdc that's the national institute of clinical excellence that's the world obesity federation who created the world obesity day like a day of celebration of obese people i'm not quite sure what the day is but the world obesity federation i mean i i don't know if it it hit you as bad in melbourne but in the uk it was a brilliant pr stunt um uh world obesity day happened to be the same week as national eating disorder awareness week or i think it was the week after i mean can you imagine and they used to have it in october and then they moved it to march then they start this big campaign which basically they bring out this research paper that says these are all the countries with that are worst hit by covid and these are all the countries that have really high obesity levels and look they match they don't match by the way they don't there's lots of countries including australia that did not count um you know who actually had very low covid um all of north africa new zealand iceland but apart from that they sort of match um so what happened was the press picked this up as you would expect them to because they had good pr and the press kind of went covid 
is caused by fat people. It's because we've got too many fat people in this country that we've had such a bad COVID pandemic. And at this point in time, we've been locked down for almost a year on and off. People want to blame someone and blaming fat people works out for everyone. It means we're not gonna be looking too closely at the government. It means we're not gonna be looking too closely at all of these other like, you know, real kind of issues like with social, with housing and overcrowding yes, and poverty, poverty and poor yeah. access to healthcare and blah, 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 blah. We're not gonna look at all of those things because we're just gonna blame it on fat people. Um, all of this was done by the World Obesity Federation. And who funds the World Obesity Federation? There's lots of companies, many of which you won't recognize, but there were a few that stood out. One is Weight Watchers. The other is Novo Nordisk, who are the pharmaceutical company that are about to bring out this miracle weight loss drug that everyone keeps talking about. The weight loss drug that you're gonna have to be on for the rest of your life if you start taking it. We're not quite sure what those long-term consequences are gonna be. Oh, and by the way, it's about a thousand pounds a month that weight loss drug that company is funding the world obesity federation so you you were very nice about it i'm burning all my bridges here and saying that everybody is in it it is financially driven this anti-fat bias that we experience is all about living in a capitalist environment and 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 money talks and voices like ours are going to be silenced by the voices that are so loud and so angry and so determined to say you know weight stigma you know the weight stigma is bad but only because people don't try and lose weight by using our drugs you know that that's what they're basically trying to say uh one thing i will never do i mean i will never compromise that way and of course i won't because i've made it very clear that i hate all these people (laughs) and i'm so outspoken about them that they're never going to come to me and try to you know do a deal it's just you know that deal is off the table but you know organization like health professionals about against weight stigma it's never going to be a multi-million dollar corporation it's not going to anyway because it's a non-profit organization but we know our voice is going to be small we know that we don't have the resources that's how that's how people oppress us you know we didn't we didn't have a chance to talk about bmi i could talk about bmi for about a day mm-hmm. and bmi exists purely to oppress people uh, even the foundations of bmi even if you look at the history of bmi it started off as a way to oppress people it continues to be a way to oppress people it is a way of denying people resources denying them access to operations fertility treatment and it is a it is a reason why people get you know earn lower wages and get less promotions a more like to live in poverty it's oppression pure and simple it's a marginalized group of people but it's a big group of people Mm -hmm. it's a large group of people and that's what people have to realize and I think I guess that's probably how we're going to end today actually is talking about what we can do in the future the first thing we have to recognize is that we're a big group of people our collective voice will matter if we all stand up together and say this isn't good enough you know we are there's enough of us to say this is wrong you've got to stop um you know oppressing me because of of my body mm-hmm. and and it's not just fat people it's also people whose faces are different it's people who are disabled it's people whose skin color isn't the right skin color it's uh people who wear hijab and cover their hair it's anybody who's being judged because of their appearance collectively we're a massive group of people and up until this point in time we've been separated if we can find a way to come together and use our collective voice to speak to the people in power who are actually a minority themselves when you think about it 
to say, hey, this isn't this isn't working for us anymore, you know, guys. Like we're we're done with that. Me too fixed, you know, did something. Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter did something. We can do something. We just have to all come together and be galvanized, you know, it's like as one group with a with a hashtag that just just pushes us forward and 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 takes this agenda all the way to the top. Yeah, I think you're right. It's um I I, my observation from speaking with health professionals is a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm just this one person. I don't have, a, you know, I'm not on social media. I don't do blogging. I don't speak at conferences. And so I think there is a massive group of people who really want to support the elimination of weight stigma and disrespectful care. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if it, if we could talk a little bit about, you know, what are things that people can do that can contribute towards the collective dismantling? Because what, you know, you and I were talking off mic before we even started and, and saying how important it is that everybody feels like they can make a contribution, that you don't have to have a big platform or a podcast or a blogging or whatever, whatever. Or, nor do you need to have 20 years of professional experience under you, your belt. You know, it's everybody can have a say, a voice, yeah. make a contribution. So, so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that. What, what are ways, both big and small, that you think that people can really contribute? So I think I think that my answer kind of is, is, is to health professionals, but also just to people, you know, like just collectively to everybody. You know, for health professionals, um, we we all, you know, we all, we all work somewhere and we all have a group of colleagues that um, we have lunch with, uh, that we talk to in the locker room or when we're taking a break or wherever, um, you know, spreading the word, being evangelical can be really hard. Uh, broaching this subject can be really hard, but it is about that chipping away. You know, if one person can share this, this word with just three people and those three people go on to share that word with another three people each, you know, all of a sudden the word is being spread. And I, you know, I actually think podcasts and blogs and social media and all that stuff. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, I'm doing it, so I'm not complaining about it, but but, I, but, you know, people hear the message often and goes, yay, and that's it. They leave it. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking to your friend or your colleague, your co-worker, if you're talking about your own personal experience or maybe the experience of your patients, if you start bringing up the little issues, the little things like, you know, I saw this patient today and, and they came to see me and, you know, they started crying because they'd, you know, every time they come and see a doctor or every time they see a nurse or whoever, you know, that they, they, they get told to lose weight and they've just, they've come to the end of it and they're feeling so low. When you start sharing these stories, people, you start the conversation and, you know, we all share clinical experience with each other. So talk about it, just talk about it in whatever way you can. Or I, I read this interesting article or I, I listened to this interesting podcast or whatever it is. And you don't even have to share it with that many people because once people begin to be aware of what's going on, I think once your eyes are opened, it's very difficult to shut your eyes. All of a sudden you notice it. I'm working with a couple of teachers, amazing women. Their names are Emily and Rihanna. They have absolutely no experience whatsoever in healthcare. They are two teachers, brilliant teachers, primary school teachers, neither of whom have really ever experienced life in a bigger body. Actually, both of them are in uh, a straight size body. Uh, who 
are so passionate about eradicating weight stigma in schools and education. Mm -hmm. And they're like, once you know it's there, it's everywhere and you cannot avoid it. And it makes you crazy and it makes you evangelical. And so they're just doing it in their own schools. But once you start in one school and then another teacher finds out about it and then another teacher, that's how the word spreads. So I would encourage people to just talk about it in their small groups in their little circles and that I think is enough to start with in fact I think it's going to make the biggest difference um other things you can do is you can write to your local you know member of parliament politician you can you know sign petitions you can get involved in the in the activism you don't have to be uh, on social media to get involved in activism you can you know, organize a, a protest you can do whatever you want you know there are so many things that we can do and you know you might find causes in your local area I've, I've just latched on to something that happened it was a newspaper article about two children that were taken away from their loving home by social services just because of their weight I read the court transcripts I went nope I'm not having this that is unacceptable I'm angry and I will not let it go I started a petition and I won't stop going on about it now I've been in touch with the local council I've been in touch with members of parliament I've just I've just I've got to be in my bonnet about this one case but potentially this one case if it if it sort of does if if things do Mm -hmm. change it might spark a bit of a you know a system change a bit of a shift in the perception within social services and maybe that will spread to local other areas local areas and as it spreads it moves around so get involved in activism if that's your thing but even if it's not share you know put a leaflet you know but put anything you know just a little bit of talking about it if you're a person in a bigger body I would encourage you to share your own experiences and uh you know consider coming on to the health professional against weight stigma and actually sharing your own lived experience with us so that we can share it publicly anonymously uh, maybe consider filling in our questionnaire because that's really helpful um uh, sharing your own experience I think is actually massively powerful I, I found it hugely cathartic I loved it I, I love being as open and honest with people as possible that has been part of my journey I get that actually you have to be in the right space and the right place to be able to do that um, I will often share people's stories but anonymously because they want to share but they don't want to share it publicly with their names so I just share them anonymously um, that kind of stuff is 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 hugely powerful um, I guess that's those are all really good starting points and and that's it right now it's a starting point we have a long ways to go but you know the black lives matter movement started with three women uh who were sat around going this just can't happen anymore we've got to stop shooting black young black young black men by police officers have got to stop shooting them and and so they started a few chapters and they started a small organization that was you know tiny and then it became a movement that's so much more than these three individuals but it did start with just three women and and I I love that I find that so empowering look at Stonewall Stonewall started off with one amazingly incredible trans woman who through I can't remember you know just got angry and just went enough is enough you know Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat I mean people people can do something really small that actually sparks a whole revolution and it doesn't happen overnight but if you just keep going and you keep supporting each other and as I say if we come together collectively um, we really can make a difference I genuinely believe that I think that it's been done in, in 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 history it's been done in recent history 
and we can do it again. And uh, we don't need social media, but we do have social media, which is great. Uh, we're a much smaller world now. We can communicate. I'm talking to you. You're in Australia. I'm in the UK. And that's great. Like we can share ideas and experiences. And uh, I love that. I love that. So I, I just I just think we just need to be together. We need to do it together. Uh, and I think that if we're supporting each other and we're doing it together, we will get somewhere. I hope in my lifetime. I'm all right if it's not in my lifetime. If I've started, if I'm just one tiny little link in the chain that's part of this movement, I, I will be more than happy with that. Like, I will go to my grave happy um, because that's, that. you know, what, what more is there in life? No. Thank you so much for that quite extensive list, really, of yeah. ideas that people can, you know, that, that we can chip, chip away at, mm. you know, dismantling these structures and systems which, um, we, which, as you so rightly overted, oppress people and are not only disrespectful and inhumane but maintain the power structures that hurt everyone, yes. everyone. Yes. So I think one of the, one of the things that, um, that, health professionals you know my, my kind of group of people that are mostly dietitians but you know I enjoy working with all health professionals is to remind people that especially if you exist in a more privileged body yeah. if you show up in the world being able to get good health care without harassment without the side serve mm. you know etc that you may feel nervous you may feel anxious you know, saying something in a team meeting, you may mm. feel nervous and anxious calling something out or even calling someone in to, you know, uh, to attend to something that's happened or being spoken about or being promoted in the, in the workplace, for example. Yeah. And that, that our anxiousness and our nervousness about that is actually part of what, what keeps us quiet and that... Um, People are literally dying. Mm. So us feeling a bit nervous or feeling a bit anxious about speaking out because, oh, my gosh, what if this person thinks X, Y, Z of me? One thing I would really, really urge people to remember is to put one hand on your heart, like hug yourself close and say, I can do this. Like me speaking up is not going to harm me. Me not speaking up could potentially harm many others. So I don't know. In Soapbox again. You and I, we've got Amazing. like these twin boxes. <laughs> but I love that. And that's so, I mean, what a beautiful thing to say. I'll never forget that. It's, that's so empowering and it's so true. You know, even, even though I exist in a bigger body, I still have so much privilege. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm fat, but I, I know that there are people who are struggling way more than I am. And I, I'm, I'm very privileged. I'm, 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 well, you know, I'm, I'm white passing. I, 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 I have lots of money. You know, I, I don't have an issue with access to healthcare. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you know that there's a story of a, a young woman in, in the States who was um, who presented to her doctor with uh, weight loss and abdominal pain and was basically laughed out of the clinic oh, and basically yes, told, um, you know, well, weight loss is a good thing, isn't it, for you? I mean, you, you could do with losing a few pounds. You could stand to lose a few pounds, basically. Uh, she left crying, devastated at the whole situation, wasn't sure what to do, was encouraged by our, you know, her little community. Um, lots of doctors and other health professionals reaching out going hang on a second that's not okay you know I remember saying to her you haven't had any tests yet like go back you know it, it, it might be awful but you have to go back she did go back and um, a month later was diagnosed with colon cancer and this is a very yeah 
diagnosed with colon cancer. She has colon cancer. She's in her thirties and she has colon cancer. It's, it's terrible. And it's an extreme example of how people are literally dying. They are being misdiagnosed. I mean, cancer is like the most scary thing to, to miss as a diagnosis, as a doctor, you know, like missing cancer is the thing that keeps us up at night. And, and, you know, the carelessness, the callousness, the, the prejudice, the, the abuse that this doctor heaped upon her, had she not made a, a video that essentially went viral and had she not had a whole bunch of people saying, whoa, no, hang on a second, you've got to go back. I wonder whether things might have worked out differently. Maybe she would have waited that little bit longer. Mm. Um, so yeah, like in reminding us as health professionals, most of whom actually, do you know what? We went into this job because we care about people. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't do it for the money or the status. I, I actually wanted to help people. That's why I went to medical school. That was my rote answer when I was at interview and I was 18 years old. Why do you want to be a doctor? Because I want to help people. Take <laughs> <laughs> your <laughs> but you know, I still stand by that. I still yes. want to do that. And so, when you're sat at that meeting, you know, and 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 that senior doctor is 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 being fat phobic and says something that you know is unacceptable, you know, putting your hand up and saying something is terrifying, and you know, it makes you feel really vulnerable. And yeah, you know, I haven't been able to do it until very recently, so I get it. I'm not judging. I don't blame you, but you're right. Hand on your heart. Take a deep breath. And think of Amanda, think of Mandy, watch her videos. Um, she's down as um, Amanda Paints, I think, Amanda Paints. That's right. Um, and just listen to her story, hear her story, and then remember her. Because you're not doing it for you, you're doing it for her. You're doing it for the patients out there that cannot advocate for themselves because they are being dismissed, they are being rejected, they are being humiliated, shamed, and they are not going to see their doctor because, um, or their health professional because of weight stigma. You're doing it for them. And, you know, perhaps that gives you that little bit of courage that you need. Um, and it's not going to be pleasant because let's face it, especially if you're dealing with doctors, doctors can be real. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, I oh, won't. God, yeah. Well, you know, I will pretend that I've sworn and then you can bleep it out because, you know, then the doctors can be real jerks. They really can. I, I, I put my hand on my heart and say I'm one of them. So um, we're not always nice and we can be very arrogant. So it's not always easy, but, you know, the, sometimes doing the right thing isn't easy. Um, you still oh, have I don't to do think it. it's ever easy. Yes, you're right. It's never easy, but 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 it still needs to be done. Do it for Amanda. <laughs> I, I, what I really like about that is bringing somebody in particular to mind. So whether it is a family member, whether it is a um, a client or a patient, whether it is somebody who you don't even know, but somebody whose lived experience you are familiar with, yeah. is I think just from a from a psychological perspective, from a personal perspective, to bring that person, kind of really, really envision them and bring them to mind, I think it can really help us bridge that gap between I can't and I will. You know, finding our voice is, is not easy and especially if we, we're, we're newer maybe to the profession or newer to a workplace or, or so forth. And it's also it's also okay in that moment if you don't say something because you have a very normal freeze response like that yeah. that that nervous system freeze response believe me is very normal when we feel overwhelmed and yeah. flooded by by a particular collection of sensations which and we and we just so badly want to pop our hand up we so badly want to say something and just know that it's okay just to collect yourself go back to your department call call someone 
or mm-hmm. make make a, a, a time with your manager, with a colleague and, you know, can we go have a cup of tea? I really need to debrief about this. And then the important thing is practice what you're going to say because will it happen again? Yes, it will happen again. So practice what you're going to say so that next time you can take that breath. And, well, maybe it's not next time. Maybe it's in 10 times time you know but that eventually you are able to say something without any preconceived necessarily expectations of that this will massively move the needle but just looping us right back around to, to to where we almost started and that is once you see it once you hear it you will not unhear it again you can't unsay it no, that's right. And it's and it's and it's so powerful. I 100% agree. And I, you know, I, I think it's really important for me to put to put my hand up here and say, I've only just started doing this. You know, I've been a doctor for a really long time. But I've only just started doing this. And, and and actually, it's really easy for me because I'm a GP. I've kind of like like in my workplace, you know, there isn't a boss, so to speak. And so it's really easy for the person kind of near enough, the kind of the top of the ladder, as it were, in their workplace to say, I'm going to put my hand off. It's a lot harder if you'll say a receptionist in a GP surgery who wants to say something, but just doesn't feel able to do it. So I get that. And you shouldn't feel bad about yourself for having not done it. And and, and, and know that even though I speak so passionately now, it's only a recent thing. So I have not, you know, I, I, I am, I'm certainly not pretending for one second to have all the answers or to to be very good at it um but as you say once you do it once and i i've got in the habit of practicing my speech whilst i take the dog for a walk like i literally speak to myself sometimes out loud if no one's around i speak out loud and i rehearse that speech especially if i know that i'm going to be dealing with a difficult situation going forwards rehearse that speech until you've done it a thousand times that's how i managed to get one um, TV and not completely humiliate myself. It's just I rehearsed it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And so yeah, that's massively that works. It really does because then you're just like, oh, I know how to answer this question. Um. It, but 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 like you say, you shouldn't you shouldn't feel bad if you haven't managed to do it yet because it takes practice. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. I love the rehearsing thing, even out loud with a colleague, with a friend, walking the dog, you know, however you do it, because actually hearing yourself say the words, it does something, especially neurologically to our, um, you know, our neural pathways is it allows it just to become a little bit more familiar. Mm. And when, when I'm, you know, if, when I'm doing say talks at schools about body image to with parents um because that's the audience that i most like to to speak to about body image as opposed to um the young people themselves um is i i say to them do you think that the time will come when your now quite young child will say something disparaging about their own body or say something disparaging about somebody else's body and all hands go up pretty much all the hands yeah. go up. And I say, this is, this is why it's really important that you have something in your back pocket to say, yeah. because it's one of parents' greatest fears is that yeah. the child will come home and say something like, um, such and such said I was fat or, mm-hmm. or, or, or for some parents, the worst case scenario would be for their own child to say, oh, little Johnny, you know, he's so fat, da, 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 da. and <gasps> you know what? what have I raised here, you know? Um, And yes, we're all human. And, you know, our children also live in the world. Surprise, surprise. They don't just live with us 24-7, thank goodness. Um, But 
Yeah. Oh, let that just slip out. Just right. That's right. I just, I just, we didn't, we just didn't have to say anything, did we? We all went, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank right. goodness. That's right. That's right. Um, Natasha, I just, I cannot express my gratitude enough. This has been a conversation that has left my heart just feeling so warm. I so thrilled for you and for our community I'm so thankful that we are in the world together I am just so thankful that we've got to meet in this way and that um and that collectively you know hopefully you know this and that the thousands of other conversations can help people to feel a little bit more bolstered you know in the, in just those little moments that can make a difference and you have shared so much about your own experience and so much about your observations, which are incredibly meaningful and, and rich. So I just wanted to say a, a massive, massive thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking away so much from this conversation as well. You've given me so many ideas. I wish I'd had a pen handy. I so halfway through thought, I need to write that down. So I'm going to have to re- I have to listen to the podcast a right. few times, I think, to go, oh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Oh, yeah, that's good. And uh, you've, you've shared a lot of wisdom with me. So I'm super grateful. And I'm really, I, I'm so grateful for the support you've given me right from the beginning. Um, you know, it has meant a lot to me. Um, just, uh, you know, just everything. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to know you and um the start of a, a you know hopefully lifelong friendship um right. and and working relationship as well um so thank you thank you for having me and um yeah I'll come back anytime yeah we'll see each other in Melbourne hopefully that would yes. be great yes definitely go away, COVID. Go away. yeah go away COVID and you've heard it here folks first folks I am coming to Melbourne that's the end of it I've decided excellent now just to finish us off um where can people find you please yes so i have a website www.fatdoctor.co.uk uh i'm also fat doctor uk on instagram and facebook i'm fat doc the fat doctor uk on twitter um i just felt like i needed a title the fat doctor like the <laughs> um what else um I'm on YouTube I, I I'm not that active on YouTube at the moment but I hopefully will be more soon um I do a blog post a week usually I try to um I'm I'm yeah I mean once you I think once you get to my website I, that redirects you everywhere so www.fatdoctor.co.uk is my website and that um, is perfect yeah. and the and the healthcare professionals against weight stigma what's that Instagram so, handle um the Instagram handle handle is very confusing it's at hpc against weight stigma and i don't know what the hpc starts for stands for and i have asked jeanette who who started it and she gave me an explanation to which i just thought that doesn't make sense jeanette but you know what it's out there so it's <laughs> at hpc against weight stigma um but if you if you go to fat doctor uk I, I i link you to it as well so that's another way to get there that is perfect. Natasha, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you again so, so much. And I really look forward to staying in touch. Yes, me too. Thanks so much. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone. 